Has God asked you to influence children? Are you writing books that parents will use to instill Christian values in their homes? Today's episode provides 10 ways to connect to the parents buying your books. Stick around. Your best writing life begins in 30 seconds. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb, and each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I am so very glad that you're listening in. During this episode, you'll learn 10 ways to wow parents through your writing. My guest is Leanne Mancini. Leanne has written seven Christian children's books that have collectively won over 25 awards. Her animation series, Sea Kids, appears on Right Now Media, Pure Flix, Answer.TV, and Go Minnow. Leanne is a host of the 2021 award-winning solo podcast, Raising Christian Kids, which can be found in all major platforms. She says, our children are walking away because most have weak, superficial faith. Leanne's God-given mission is to serve all who are raising the next generation of Christians by preparing the soil to be rich from the womb to age three and to plant seeds that grow deep roots from ages 4 to 10. I love that. Leanne is a wife and mother of two grown children. She loves to spend time with family, read educational books, and teach God's Word. Welcome, Leanne, to Your Best Writing Life. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Linda. I am so excited to be here. I love your podcast. It's so informative, and I'm just glad to be a part of it today. Well, we are glad to finally be able to snag you and and get some of your time to be here to equip our writers. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We're looking at 10 ways to wow parents through your writing. The first one, you say that we need to make sure that we understand our audience. So share with that. Yes. I think it's so important that if you're going to write, you have to know who is going to be the reader. Who is your audience? And research the current situation. For example, for for children's books and parenting books, you want to seek uh, wisdom from the Holy Spirit and guidance from Him to let you understand what the problems are today that parents are facing. What are their struggles? Because they want answers and they need help more now than they ever have before. What 
ideologies or characteristics are they trying to instill in their children in this mm. anti-Christian humanistic culture that we're facing today? Writing a parenting book or a children's book um, is so important. And so you have to research also what is out there. What, is, uh, what are the topics that are already out there that parents are reading to their children or reading mm -hmm. in parenting books for themselves? Find out what's evergreen, what is timely, because you want to write a book that not only addresses situations today, but also um, is biblically based that will address situations down the road. So your, your book is evergreen. Maybe look for a felt need. Write a felt need book that's addressing a typical situation. Just make sure that you really look at what is already out there and what the problems are today. And, and then write down your ideologies that you have about that topic and ask mm. the Holy Spirit to guide you. Another thing you can do is, you know, go your, to your church, to the parents in your church or your school, and ask them, you know, what are you facing? What are the problems you're facing? Maybe like a focus group. You could write a questionnaire and send it to your principal or the headmaster or your pastor and tell them you're trying to put together a really phenomenal parenting guide or children's book, but you want to be able to be connected with the parents and what they're facing today. Uh, also, if you want to go further, once you get your uh, your information together and you've written your book and maybe you even ha you even have illustrations for it if you're going to self-publish it you can put a galley together that's what i did i put a galley of my first book fast freddy together and i submitted it to the local uh christian teachers the kindergarten first grade with a questionnaire and i asked them would you read this to the children and tell me how did the children react? Did they mm. like the book? Did they like the story? What do you, as a teacher, an expert in this field, feel I could have done better or could have tweaked? And they sent back unanimously, yes, we love this book. Please write more. Uh, the, the kids would go to the puppet area and act out the story after we read it. Oh. So I knew I had something there that I think kids liked and the teachers liked, so I knew the parents would like also. And, you know, or have better readers for your books. And, of course, just beware, family and friends will always tell you, yeah, it's a fascinating book or it's a wonderful <laughs> book because they love you. They don't want to hurt your feelings by saying, hey, you know what, I didn't like what you put in this section. I think you should tweak it. So be careful of getting, um, you know, the opinions from family and friends. Look for the professionals and ask them their opinion. And don't be afraid to ask your church or your schools to help you. This is great. And you're right. I always tell writers, don't put your material in front of those who love you because they're just going to continue to love you. You need to search out the end people group. Who are you trying to reach? Those are the ones for your beta groups. Those are the ones that you want to have say the truth. And this is what we felt. This is what we like. This is what we didn't like so much, or maybe want to have less of. And I know that you also suggest that with the focus groups that we look at, that we can separate those out. We can have focus groups of preschoolers. And then we can also have focus groups of, you know, teenagers or parents of teenagers. 
looking at specific focus groups, you will receive more detailed ideas and questions that you can answer through your writing. Is that correct, Leanne? Absolutely. And be aware that there's always going to be someone who's going to throw a wrench in the mix. For example, I had sent my galley and the questionnaire to um, teachers in New York. I just didn't hit Florida here where I live. I sent them across the country to different teachers. And I had one teacher write back and say, well, the book is great. We love this book. But I have an objection to one of the characters. It was the um, male seahorse who carried the babies in his pouch to be born. They said that might be um, projecting um, a, a possible idea in the children's minds that's not something we want to project, if you know what I'm saying. Oh. And I said, listen, um, you'll have to take that up with God because that's how God created the male seahorse to carry the babies in his pouch. So just be aware you're going to have differing of opinions. Don't let that set you back. Don't be upset. Um, some ideas will be great that you'll receive and some won't. But I love your idea about going specifically to each group because sometimes you'll have a parent who is a parent of a teenager and a younger child, and they may be able to tell you something that will cross over from a teenager to a young one. Because after all, teenagers have temper tantrums just like toddlers do. <laughs> and so, you know, I like that idea, Linda. Yes. No, that is really great. So this is good. So we know what we're going to do first is we are going to make sure that we understand our audience and through research, we've got to research struggles, the, uh, ideologies, characteristics, what are they wanting to instill in their children? Because we're meeting their needs through our writing. The second one, you say that we need to walk alongside them. And I like that you say we need to let them know that we care. What is the opposite to that? Yes. Parents want to know grandparents, your reader, whoever it is, they want to know that you've written this book because you care about the audience, because you care about their needs. You're not just trying to sell a book and make mm. money. Mm. And, you know, I kind of chuckle at that because as authors, we know it's not, you don't make a lot of money writing books. We do it because we love to write, because we've been yes. called to write, because God has instilled in us a desire to fulfill a need that's out there. Um, unless you write the best-selling book and you make millions, I don't know. But that's very far and few in between from what I understand. So you want the parent, the grandparent, whoever you're writing for, to know that you are in this with them, that you've felt mm -hmm. this problem, you've had this problem, or you've seen this problem, and that you care about them. As, as the body of Christ, as a sister and brother, look, I see your struggle. Yes. Um, and I'm not just trying to sell you a book. I'm trying to help you, to give you answers that I feel God has placed upon my heart. I've done the research and here's what I have. Um, mm. Let them feel your concern and your desire in your writing. Let them hear it with your words. This it's, you know, as a teacher, I'm still working on this because I get in teaching mode. I just want to teach, teach, teach. But I have right? to remember that I'm speaking to an audience um, that just wants to feel loved also and cared for, not just taught or that I'm just trying to sell a book for. Mm. And that's true. 
I like it when I journey with somebody. And so that invitation to journey with the author, it's, it's, it goes deeper, right? And so then as we read, and then especially when we are reading to children, we can allow that emotion to come out as we are reading. I love audiobooks. I narrate audiobooks. I love to be able to convey that emotion as I'm reading books and for our children to, you know, be drawn in. So if we write it that way, oh, it makes it so much easier for the parent to read it out loud that way. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. We're trying to connect to their heart, not just Mm. their mind. Yes. So good. Now, number three, parents are desperately looking for answers. And you say, but most importantly, they're looking for the how to do it. So what does that look like? When I was researching for my parenting guidebook, which I'm still working on, I found a lot of parenting books and I read a lot of parenting books, Christian parenting books that told parents what they needed to do. Here's what God's word says. Here's what you need to do. But what I found a lot of these books lacking, not most of them lacking, but there's still, there's exception to the rule. There are some books I think that did a great job of this, but I found them lacking how to do it. Actually telling the parents, how do I do this? So you're telling me to help my two-year-old um, learn about the love of Jesus and connect Jesus's name to his heart, that it's very important. Well, how do I do that? One example is when your, your infant is eating or breastfeeding or your two-year-old is happy, bring the name of Jesus into the situation, I tell them. Tell them Jesus loves you. Um, you know, Samantha, Jesus always wants you to be happy. What you're doing is you're connecting their emotions or their needs being met to the name of Jesus. So a lot of books tell us what to do, but they don't tell us how to do it. You know, how can you raise your children to have a strong foundation in Jesus? What do I need to do as a parent? Tell me, give me examples step-by-step of what I need to do. Hmm. Again, there's too many books that tell them what to do, but I think if you put in your book a lot of examples of how to do these things we're telling them they need to do, that's exactly what they're looking for. And you'll have a bestseller on your hands if you can do that. You're not fishing for them. You're teaching them. And this is, and this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Cast the net this way. Use these specific words, look into their eyes. This is vital. I really like that. All right. Number four, you say that we should have a biblical index and bibliography. Talk to us about that. Yes, I love it when I have a book, and maybe you do too, and maybe your listeners do too, when you can go to the back of the book and you can look up, oh, I remember that book talked about this Bible verse in this situation. You can go to the back of the book. It, it, it's not that much more work to do this and to have the Bible verses listed where you talk about that Bible verse on the page in that situation. It's another tool to help parents. Um, have a bibliography. Don't be afraid to share the information that you researched. I really love it when I have a book that has the information when they quote an author. 
I can go get that author's book. This is how we support authors, each other. This Mm -hmm. is how we support each other also. Um, If God instilled in that particular author to write this message, don't you want to share that with the audience also who's ever reading your book? This is how we work together as the body of Christ. So I think it's important to have an index or bibliography, maybe a glossary of key words also. And I also think we should break uh, significant chapters into bite-size reading with headers because I found a lot of parents today or grandparents or whoever's reading, they don't like long chapters. They like to be able to go to that page and quickly look, oh, this subtitle talks about this, and here's the paragraph I was looking for. And, of course, make sure your text is under 40,000 words or so. Because from what I understand, traditional publishers don't want to print anything larger than that. And if a parent, a busy parent is going up and they look up to the counter and they see your book in the bookstore or wherever, and it's a thick manual, they might not even pick it up thinking this is just too much to read. I'm not going to bother to read that. And you said that you had to do that with uh, one of the books that that you wrote, is that you took your book and divided it into two books. Yes, my my parenting guidebook was 65,000 words because mm. I've done a lot of research and there's a lot of stuff I wanted to share with the parents. And I give them a lot of examples of how to do what I'm suggesting they do. And I had to cut it into two books. So now I'm working on the first book. And all, which is not a bad thing, because now I'll have a second book. That's right. Eventually, hopefully, God willing. That's right. And we don't want to start out with a deterring factor, which would be, oh my goodness, I don't even want to pick that up because there's no way I could read through it. And even though we're saying, well, the, the chapters are there, the chapter headers are there, you don't have to read the whole thing. But it can be overwhelming to parents who are already overwhelmed. So making it bite-sized, having concise chapters, and allowing the parent to, from first pickup, say, I can get through this. I can do this. This is reasonable for me. That yes. is, that's a win-win in how I look at reading and how I look at books, especially for parents. They are one of my passion people groups, parents. So yes, don't overwhelm them with something that's supposed to help them. Yes. Make it so that they'll pick it up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then you tell us number five, don't talk down to parents. Whoa. Yes. Yes. That is, that is, oh, you're speaking my language here, Leanne. So help us out. Give us what that looks like. Yes. I have to admit you know, I was guilty of doing that. In my first manuscript, my first passage, I have more of a um, teaching brain. And so my, at first it was very didactic. I was telling them what they need to do. You should do this. You have to do this, blah, blah, blah. And it, and it sounded like I was really talking down to parents. Um, and that's a turnoff. They don't mm. want to be told in such a cold way what they need to do. And they don't want to feel like you think that they're ignorant because you're telling them to do that. So be careful that you don't talk down to parents. 
you know, saying you must or you need or you have to or you should understand, they could take that as if you're talking down to them. Right. Um, ensure that you don't feel, leave them feeling guilty either that they haven't done what you've suggested, you know, or they've messed up on their parenting journey. I, I teach a parenting class at Calvary Chapel. And before I did that, I, I went through and went through all the questions and I talked to a few people I know and I said, what do you think about this? And they said, well, you know, it kind of left me feeling a bit guilty because I hadn't done what you mentioned. Mm. So make sure you don't have, don't have your readers feeling guilty. Say to them, look, if you haven't done this already, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Because not, many of us haven't done maybe what you're suggesting. But in God's economy, it's never too early Amen. and it's never too late. I always talk about Erwin Lutzer, who talks about the story of the Egyptian tombs that had 4,000-year-old seeds in the, in the tombs when they you know, buried the pharaohs. And they dug these, these tombs up and they opened them up and they found these 4,000-year-old seeds. So they planted the seeds and they gave them water and sunshine and they grew. So it's never too late Amen. to do what God is calling us to do, and it's never too early. But, um, make sure your parents don't feel guilty in your writing because they haven't done maybe what you suggested. And also be vulnerable. Share your mistakes. Tell them what you've done wrong in your book so they, they feel personally connected to you. That's one way that they won't feel as if you're talking down to them either, like you're superior, you've never done these mistakes. Hey, yes, I have. Look what I did. Hmm. And also give them encouragement. Hey, mom, dad, grandma, you can do this. Ministry leader, you can do this. Give them examples of people who have struggled and who have been successful. And with, you know, tell them, reassure them, God has called you to do this. And if he's called you, he's equipped you. And he will help you get it done. And you can do it because parents feel extremely overwhelmed today in what they're facing than what we faced when we were raising our kids. No, this is this is right. When I I founded Parenting Awesome Kids several years back, and it was an active organization here in the San Antonio area and met with parents, influenced families for over five years. And in the course of that time, my husband, Sam, and I became known as the Transparent Farbs. So our last name is Gold Farb. So, you know, it would be, be transparent. And we, what we found is in the transparency, it endeared the parents to us. Because quite often, as writers, as speakers, as leaders in the community, we are looked at, and it doesn't have to even be that this is what we're exuding, but we're looked at as better than or almost unattainable. And that moment that we lower that misconceived veil and we say, let me tell you about my parenting. Let me tell you about my family. And all of a sudden, their arms are like, oh, I'm home. You get me. I'm not alone. And when we put that in our writing, like what you've said, if we choose not to point at the parents with our words and not to bullet point them to death, 
they're going to feel invited into the journey. I really like that you included this in the 10 ways to wow parents. This is, this is a heartbeat for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Then you say number six, well, I'm going to let you share this one because you have a specific wow factor for those that are writing picture books. Okay. Well, when I was, I didn't plan on becoming a children's author. I'm sure a lot of your listeners didn't plan on writing their books or doing what they're doing, but God calls us and he equips us. And when I felt that I was going to write these books, you know, publish these books based on stories I wrote years ago when my children were little and I shelved them thinking I was just going to bring them out for my grandkids. Um, but God had other plans. So when I got the picture books, I, the stories, I decided I wanted to have really vibrant illustrations. It took me a year because I self-published these or independently published. Um, it took me about a year to find an illustrator. I didn't want a white part on the page at all. I wanted it all colors. Illustrations have to be outstanding for the children to love the books. Even, even more than a storyline, because children love to see color. Young children love to see color. And so the illustrations need to be outstanding. Um, and the, they need, the child needs to understand the story through the illustrations. Mm. The, the words are there just to support the illustration is what you want it to look like. And if you can do that, geez, you're going to have a great picture book because I've seen picture books. I've, I have a lot of picture books. I collect them. And I've seen a lot of picture books where the illustrations are not good quality or there's too much on the page for a young child to focus in and to understand what's going on because there's just too much. So it's really important that the illustrations are colorful. They capture the child's imagination and attention and they tell a story. The child can kind of look at the illustrations and say, yes, this character, look, he's bowing his head and he's praying. I know what he's doing. Mm. You know, you can picture the scene in your mind before you, um, if you're going to be an independent publisher, picture the scene in your mind and think of how you want this story to look and pencil, draw it on a pencil on a paper and, and give it to your illustrator and say, this is what I'm looking for. Also, keep the action happening. What's going to happen next? They want to look at the illustration and think, oh, what? I'm going to turn the page. I want to see what's going to happen next on the next page. And the words in the story in a picture book should only be between 400 and 900 words total. So I think, I think illustrations for picture books, that's why they're called picture books, because they're looking at a picture. And it's so important that they're outstanding. Hmm. And if we can wow the parents with outstanding illustrations, they're going to be eager to share it with their children because parents are just grown up kids and they like to experience this as well. I'm part of a traveling children's theater and have been performing for over 27 years. And I get amazed at how the parents they become little kids in the audience and they enjoy it. That visual display, the color, the interaction. And as you said, the forward action that something has to keep going. That's what's going to get them to turn the page. 
And so when we are considering our illustrator, we consider the parents too, because the parents will enjoy sharing with their kids what they enjoy looking at as well. So this is, and I like it. And you mentioned, you said you like color all the way across the page, but you said, but don't make it so busy that they don't know where to place their eyes. I really like that because you can have color, but then you can have focal points. And now you don't want it to be colorful and confusing. Oh, I love it. I love it. You want them to be able to point things out, to pick things out, to rest their eyes on a specific character or something that you're speaking about in the story so that they go, oh, I see that. Oh, I remember that. I like this idea. I just have to add before we go on to the next one real quick. Um, when the kids, when kids love what they're seeing, that gives you an opportunity. They want to see it again and again and again. I've had parents say, look, mm-hmm. you know, I put a pile of picture books on my child's nightstand. And well, this one parent told me this. She, she said she put a pile of books on her child's nightstand that she reads every night. And her little one would go over and just push all the other books on the floor and pick up my book and say, fishy book, fishy book. <laughs> she says, I love your books, but I'm tired of reading them. But my child loves them. Yes. And what that told me also is that because a child loves the illustrations, they're going to hear this message over and over again. Amen. And that's what you want. You want them to hear, you know, that Corey bowed his head and he pray, prayed to Jesus, asking Jesus for help. Mm-hmm. So if the, if the illustrations are great, this is going to afford you an opportunity to read them over and over again and the child to hear the message as well. That's right. And the Where's Waldo, on my, in my books, I have a hidden Christian symbol on each page for the kids to find yes, like a Where's Waldo. But we don't tell and, them that until the end of the story. And then I they know. want to go back in the book. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I, I started actually seeing it on a few pages. And I thought, oh, that's just a little, you know, a little kind of like a little love thing that you placed in there. And I thought, oh, that's so cute. Almost like a little watermark, but, you know, in different places. And then getting to the back of the book and going, oh, this is even better. They're having them go back. She's having them go back and find them. You want them to have fun while they're reading. Yes. Yes. So good. All right. And then number seven, when writing Christian children's books, don't veer so far off that the Christian message becomes diluted or takes a back seat. Whoa. Give us the examples that you're wanting us to understand in this. Yes. I, I was reading a picture book. It was a Christmas story of the birth of Jesus. And there was so, there was so many different elements to the story, the fiction part of the story that the story of Jesus was extremely diluted. Mm. And I don't think we want to do that when we're talking about especially a biblical story. We want the child to get the message. You can add a few fun elements, a little bit of fiction here and there, but when the fiction is so far out because you just want the kids to find that it's really a lot of fun or this character, this new character we're talking about is really cool, it's not what God would want you to do. And, and right. I think that, that we have to be careful about that because parents will read it and they will be turned off as well. 
they will look at the book and say, hey, you know, there's just too much fiction in this book that we've lost the narrative of the birth of Jesus. So I think that's really important. It's very important. Very important. You know, if we're writing Christian books, Christ can never take a back seat. That's not the purpose of the writing. So I appreciate you putting that there. Number eight, you tell us that we need to look for a unique way to describe an evergreen problem or a biblical story. What, what can you share with us there? Yes. You know, it is, it's hard to do sometimes. Uh, Noah's Ark has been told how many times, mm. right? Adam and Eve has been told so many times. But if you can find a unique way to describe something without losing the biblical narrative again, I think that would be a great book for children, and parents would enjoy that. So if you can come up with some idea that is unique to tell about Adam and Eve, maybe you want to talk about from the serpent's standpoint, instead of always Adam and Eve's or, God, or God's standpoint. Maybe you want to talk about the serpent, what he did. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's an evergreen problem. It's a biblical story, but we want to tell it in a unique way that captures the mind of the parents and the children. And also we want parents um, to have books that teach a moral lesson and a faith lesson. And the difference is a faith lesson reflects on Jesus in the story, and a moral lesson teaches about how Jesus acted in the story. Mm. And also, one unique way of teaching also, uh, let me back up, is to talk about Nancy Sanders' book. She wrote a book called One Sentence Storybooks, and I thought this was unique. She has only one sentence on each page for the biblical story, such as one truth to learn, one verse to say, or one prayer to pray. So you, you look for a unique way to tell the story, and then make sure that there's a faith lesson that, that reflects on Jesus and a moral lesson that talks about how Jesus acted and behaved. Hmm. I know your first book, Fast Freddy, covers the issue of bullying. And it is prevalent today. Bullying with our children, it's not just a high school thing. It starts real young. And the way that you have allowed the characters in the book to experience it and for those to witness it and for the one who is the bully to discover that the actions taken are not acceptable. You really bring it in with all of the characters on, you know, every child is going to be able to respond to that. It's those that are watching it happen, those that it maybe is happening to and perhaps those that are the perpetrators. Yes. So you know, it's Fast valuable. Freddy, thank you. Fast Freddy, he's half shark and half octopus, and we called him a sharktopus. <laughs> and, you know, he, he goes to school and he's bullied because he's different. Mm -hmm. And what we've done in this book, in which I also suggest uh, anybody who's writing a Christian children's book or a, parent, or, uh, a picture book, um, that they talk about the positive way to behave. Don't look at telling the child, don't try to tell the child, don't do this. Instead, focus on telling the child, 
here's how we do this. So my characters always show love and compassion and acceptance after the child feels slightly bullied or whatever the situation is. Um, we show them the rest of the story, how to behave and what to do instead of telling them what not to do. In in What a Bragger, my second book, Melissa's a blowfish and she brags all the time. But they find out the reason she brags is because she doesn't have very much. She's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in need at home. And what they do is they, and so she brags to try to compensate. I can do this, I can do that. Because she wants to be, she wants to feel that she fits in with the other kids with all the things that they have and everything they can do. And so the kids in this story learn that they can just go ahead and love on her. And, you know, for her birthday, they buy her an arts and craft kits and they tell her, look, it's not what you have. It's who you are. We love you for who you are. So always look for the positive spin, you know, address the, the, the situation, what the problem may be, but then make the rest of the story about what Jesus would do. Mm. Very positive, upbeat, truth-filled, and you do address the issue. You're not, you're not watering down the issue. You address it, but then you come alongside it. And even, I think, through the books you have written, as the parents read it, there may be some parents that kind of go back in their mind a little bit and go, wow, I would kind of treat someone that way. So we're helping the whole family when we write from a Jesus perspective for children. So very good. Now we have number nine. You share with us about a particular book, and I'm going to have you explain that. The concept here is we should be writing high concept ideas. When we write, to write high concept ideas. So I'll let you take that away. Yes, I love Clyde Young and Michelle Medlock Adams. They wrote a book calling, called titled, excuse me, Writing and Selling Children's Books in the Christian Marketplace. And they talk about writing high concept ideas. And these are books that capture the imagination and have a wow factor. For example, uh, remember the Left Behind series? Those Mm -hmm. books had a wow factor. And it drew people in and people were talking about the books and talking about the series. And then there was um, Kurt Cameron got involved and they actually did a live production um, video or whatever it was on that series. And so, because it had a wow factor and I believe my children's books had a wow factor. And that's why we had um, a producer come to my table and say, look, we have to make this into an animation series. So you want that wow factor and that high concept idea, an idea maybe that hasn't been talked about or used before. Also, the what if, I think this is so important. Think about what if, because kids, we want them to wonder, what if mommy turned into superwoman? What would that look like in your story? Um, That's a high concept idea. Or what if Mary Poppins had children of her own? Or what if Eve didn't bite the apple? Mm. What would have happened? Um, So it's important to try to Look at different ways to tell a story or tell it uniquely that has that wow factor. 
Um, there's another book too, Writing Picture Books by Anne Whitford Paul, that I think is a, a great resource. And then if you're going to self-publish or independently publish, I highly suggest your, writing, uh, your Guide to Marketing Books in the Christian Marketplace by Sarah Blome. And the Christian Independent Publishers Association is a phenomenal organization that helps independent publishing. Get educated, read all you can about writing a children's book before you even begin. Make sure you understand what you're getting into, what you need to do so that, you know, I always say planning is important. We plan for many things. So make sure you're planning what your first step, second step, and last step will be. And then pray, 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 pray. Gotta pray. Gotta have prayer a part of that. It's the thread that holds everything together. It holds our spiritual armor on as well. And then number 10, you say, make sure you take the parent and the child on the journey. Yes, I think this is so important. Parents, they are the people who buy the books. So if they look at your book, whatever it be, a parenting guy or a picture book or a board book, they're going to look at that book and you want to make sure that they will like the book because they're the ones that are going to buy the book and take the book home and read it to their children. Try to make sure that the parent will love the story or the storyline or the way you've written the book or the way it's presented in the illustrations. Because if they love it, guess what? They're going to tell their friends. They're going to tell people at church. They're going to tell their uh, book club people that they goes to book club attends. They're going to tell all their friends about it. So make sure that you also take the parent. The parent learns something on the journey. Even in a picture book, they can learn something. Hmm. That's what we want. You, you tell us that we need to remember that we are serving God and we're called to do our best with our God-given abilities and that we're all part of the body. And when we present a product that equips those who are equipping and coming alongside future generations, I don't know that there's a better thing to do. Um, I was working with high schoolers at church and I taught, taught them on Sundays. And I had asked father because there were a lot of issues that were happening with my teenagers and they were struggling. And I said, Lord, I know that you have brought me to the teens. How am I to make the biggest impact on their lives? What can I do? And he really impressed in my spirit, you need to equip who's equipping them. And I was like, oh, wow, you're not asking me to work <laughs> with parents, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And I did. And such an amazing opportunity to touch the lives that are touching the lives of future generations. So if we are writing to them, yes, let's be prepared. Let's get it right. And let's take the parent and the child on a journey that's going to make a difference. So powerful. So powerful. You have given us so much here today, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have shared. Thank you for having me on the show, Linda. I 
I'm just passionate about this. I think it's so important. Well, it is. And I know you have a PDF made available. There's a link that's in our show notes. And it's going to cover these 10 ways to wow parents. Thank you very much for that. And I always like to ask my first-time guest to share a little bit about yourself so we get kind of a peek behind the personal curtain of our guest. And is there something that maybe you could share that we won't read in your bio? Well, I live in South Florida, and so the ocean is only about 10 miles away from me, and I hardly go there. And I know people are probably thinking, what? She lives by the beach and she doesn't go there. You know, I've lived here forever. But you know what I like to do? I like to go to our lake house, which is in the middle of the state of Florida, in Lake Placid, Florida. And I love to sit on the lake, the big lake, swing on the swing and and be close to the Lord. Or my husband and I will go on our our boat and we'll watch the sunset down into the lake. I, I find that I can just be at one with God and with his nature and pray to him and ask him for guidance in everything I do and ask his blessings on everything that I do and ask him to use me according to his Mm -hmm. will and his purpose. And I just feel so connected to him. So even though I have a beautiful beach here in my backyard, I travel about two and a half hours to our lake house to just sit in front of the calm water and be with the Lord. Oh, sunset watching. How amazing. So very, very good. Well, folks, we have a lot of links in today's show notes, links to Raising Christian Kids to the podcast, to Leanne's Raising Christian Kids community group. Also, Leanne is the author and executive producer of the animated show, Sea Kids. So we have the Sea Kids store, Sea Kids information. The reason this is here is because if you are writing to parents at some point, if you're not already doing it, there will be ancillary ways that you can reach out into the parenting community. And Leanne just shows us excellent ways of doing this and what is already working. So take a look. And if you're writing to parents, it's probably because you're a parent. So I figured this is going to be a big help for you too. And also, Leanne, you have for us a 31-day devotional. I've taken a look at it. I love it. I love the look of it itself. And you're making that available to our listeners as well, correct? Yes. And we have a lot of free resources on our website as well. Many, 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 many. You're going to want to go out there, take a look, get in touch with Leanne. Let her know what you think about what it is that she is doing. And if you have an opportunity to listen to her podcast, please rate and review it and hit subscribe. Because if you're writing to parents, you're probably a parent. So you want to have that as well and share it with your children too. I forgot to mention this, that we have um, the availability for them to watch one of our episodes for free on YouTube. So if they go to YouTube and go to See Kids um, and they can click on, I believe it's Unique Gifts is the one we have up there. They can watch a whole episode for free and share with their children. We'll have that link in the show notes as well. 
Thank you, Linda. You're so wonderful. Your podcast is amazing. You help so many people, and I'm so appreciative. My job is easy. (laughs) I just like, I like having guests on who have a means to equip our writers, and it's writers from every stage. That's what I enjoy doing. It makes what I do so pleasant. And I enjoy having guests on just like you. Makes me smile this side of the microphone, Leanne. Greatly appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you, Linda. And thank you, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Let us know what you think about this episode. I'm really interested to hear. And so you can send me a note. Of course, I'd love for you to take a moment to share this podcast with another writer or two if you have. Friends, writers who are writing specifically to parents, share this episode. And then, of course, give us a star rating, post an episode review, hit the subscribe. You don't want to miss any of the episodes that we have. I greatly appreciate you. And I appreciate you because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you on our next episode of Your Best Writing Life.